hello and welcome to the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast. It's a snowy day here on the East Coast and I've got East Coast friends with me to talk about natural wine. Don't leave. If you're not a fan of natural wine, don't leave. I'm telling this is going to be the episode where you're going to turn the corner. So we're going to talk about what it is, obviously, how you spot it in the wild, what makes it different. And more importantly, if you're not drinking natural wine, is what you're drinking unnatural? Talk about that because I always feel like there's some commentary there. And this is, I will say, a topic that's inherently laden with a lot of opinions and consistencies and a category like any wine category has a really, really wide range of quality. And one that sometimes gets confused with another category of wine that we're actually going to be drinking today, which is orange wine. Spoiler alert, they're not the same, but we're going to talk about them because they sometimes do get grouped together. And honestly, there just wasn't enough information to, to dedicate an entire episode to such a delicious category of wine. So we're, we're looping them together today. <laughs> but I will fully admit that I, for my wine drinking career, was not really a fan of natural wines. So I'm going to tell you why that why that was, what changed, and uh, how I'm navigating that today. And one of those ways is via my guest who, when people ask me about natural wine, these are the guys that I send them to. These are the guys that know their stuff. They talk about it on TikTok. They talk about it on Instagram. They have an incredible platform there. They're experts on the subject and put some of the best wine content out on the subject and just best wine content out there in general. And they're just an all-around treasure to watch on both of the platforms. So please welcome to the show the natural wine-loving boys in New Jersey, Chris and Ryan of Super Vino Bros. Super Vino Brothers or Bros? <laughs> bros. Bros it's is bros. perfect. Yes. It is bros. Yes, yes, that sounds perfect. I love it. Yes. Amanda, that was such, such a thoughtful intro. I really appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you for the wonderful <laughs> intro as well as having us on the show. I'm really thrilled. Really love what you do as well. So it, this is honestly such thank a pleasure you. being on here and being able to talk to you about something we were so passionate about. So this is this is really, really exciting. I am genuinely excited to have you guys on here. In fact, when we started thinking about doing this episode, there was only one choice as a guest. And it was you guys, because I think I think <laughs> wow. you represent the next generation. Yeah. I think you represent a category of wine drinker that I want to be friends with, which is just like super low-key, uh. informed, but super fun. You also are single-handedly responsible for me falling in love with the city of Lisbon, because when I was there, uh, I reached out yes. to you and I was like, hey, I think you guys like kind of know the scene here. Where should I go drinking? And you gave me the best recommendation for a wine bar I think I've ever had in my life. And it totally turned me around in Lisbon. Thank you. Of course. Absolutely. Can, we shout, can we shout out the wine bar? <laughs> we can should We should shout, shout the them bar? out. So Black Sheep Lisboa. Black Sheep Lisboa is so fun. I absolutely love that spot. And I mean, I'm so happy that you went to there and took the recommendation because that spot is so much fun, super low-key wine bar that you can basically just buy a bottle and just go into the public park across the street and just drink with other Lisbon uh, Lisbonites. So it is it is truly a special um, spot. And so I'm really happy that you had just as good of a time as, uh, as as we did when we went there. I did. It's so wild being there because, you know, obviously living in the U.S., like when you are at a wine bar, like you have to stay inside and like keep your glasses in. And there they're like, here's your glass. Go mm-hmm. play. Go get a pizza. Hang out in the park. <laughs> you're like, am I allowed to do this? This is so wild. But it was – and like what a treat because they – Seriously. They don't really have a menu. They're just like, we have like 50 wines open. Just like, you know, let us know where you're in the mood for. We'll pour you taste. And there – mind you, I don't know how, how it was when you guys were. There was like 100 people. I'm not joking. This place is maybe 20 square feet, 100 people <laughs> like around you. And these guys are, are talking to you as if you were the only ones in the room. It's insane. And I love it. And I can't thank you enough. 
it's the size of a studio apartment and they are able yeah. to cater to a lot of guests. So I completely agree. So the deal is you guys have this TikTok and Instagram platform, Super Vino Bros, and you are obviously real life brothers, twins. Yeah. Twins. We are we are twins. Yeah. Fraternal twins. Who's older? He is older. Ryan is older. Ryan is older. <laughs> By two minutes. Okay. You're not gonna hold it <laughs> against him. And you are in the wine industry, lovers of the wine industry. What's cause you know, I only know you from like TikTok and what you put out there. We are lovers. We are passion enthusiasts. We um Definitely not in the industry. We like to think we're industry adjacent. So we Love both it. have full-time jobs that's, uh, that we, you know, I always say pays the wine bill. Uh, and then we have this Smart. side hustle kind yeah. of passion project of ours that we just kind of kind of go head deep into, you know. So, uh, yeah, this is definitely a side, uh, like, a, again, side hustle, part-time gig, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> I love it. And you guys fell yeah. into natural wine naturally. Has it always been a passion of yours? I would say that it, like, like many other people's hobbies, it started off in, uh, during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we started drinking a lot of wine, you know, during uh, COVID while we were isolated and quarantining and whatnot. Um, but then it, it really what ended up sparking it is a, a friend of ours in the restaurant industry that came over one day and, you know, introduced us to, you know, the concept of natural wine, like wine that's like not just red and white or not just, mm. you know, Cab Sauv or Chardonnay, the stuff that we're, that we're used to drinking, you know, uh, earlier. And then that kind of just uh, blossomed into visiting natural wine shops and specialty wine shops and exploring kind of what the world of wine has to offer. And, and the fact that it's so much more than, you know, what we typically think of in the United States, you know. It's a big, wide world out there. Ryan, same for you. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, just we have to give a huge shout out to um, Court Liquors in Long Branch, New Jersey which uh, really uh, was the first place we started buying our natural wines. Um, they had such a great selection there, really, really well curated, and the staff there is incredible. Uh, and so, yeah, we just we kind of went down the rabbit hole there, and, and probably a year after that, um, we just we, we felt confident enough to want to, uh, to share it with some people on the internet, and that's kind of how we started just, you know, posting stuff on the, on the internet, and, and, and it stuck, thankfully. Well, I'm excited to dive into that with you guys. I want to I want to touch on a few things that are happening in the wine world. Sound good? Yes, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Being from New Jersey, I guess, are you Giants fans? Yeah, yes. actually, we are Giants okay. fans. Well, we won't hold it against you. Okay, so the Eagles. <laughs> I'm from Philly, obviously. The Eagles played uh, at Tampa this past week uh, unsuccessfully, and. Yeah. Um, the only person who had a worse time at the Eagles game than coach Nick Sirianni was this girl, Sydney, who posted a viral video about how she ordered a glass of decoy Pinot Noir. Did you guys see this? It was on TikTok. I don't think I did, no. I did not see this. I don't think I saw this, actually. All right. So this video goes viral, right? This girl, Sydney, posts a video. She's at the game. She's in the club suite. And she goes out. She goes to the bar. And she orders a glass of decoy Pinot Noir. And in doing so, she catches the bartender mixing two different bottles of wine, types of wine, not a decoy and a decoy, a decoy and a completely different wine. And okay. which is the first part of the story. Now, here's, here's where it gets interesting. She calls the bartender out and goes, I'm, I don't want your DIY blend. And when she does that, the bartender <laughs> actually defends her action and says, like, this is, there was only an inch left in the bottle. You know, it's something that we do, whatever. And she was kind of nonchalant about it. And the girl, like, got on TikTok and was like, F this. Like, th- like this should be illegal. Like, <laughs> I don't think this is okay. And this this video has reached over a million views, which, as you guys know, means the comment section is a dumpster fire. Yeah, um, for sure. <laughs> right. And now there's, like, all these comments coming in, coming after this girl for being a Karen for speaking up. So – 
my question to you, what would you have done in that situation? So let's think of it one or two ways, right? If, if I ordered something that was like, I was really excited to try and like, I, I they told me that it was like fake. Yeah. That, that, I'd be, I'd be upset about that. Like, you yeah. know, you didn't, you didn't order what you, what you wanted, but at the same time, you know, I mean, I don't know how, I don't know how this, how this, how this girl views decoy wine, but it's like, it's, it's, it's not a first growth, growth Bordeaux we're talking about, you know, it's like yeah. a, you know, it's a table wine, right. You know, and I love table wine in the right context. Yeah. So it's like, like if you're giving me a glass of red wine that I know is just for the purpose of drinking a glass of red wine and nothing else. I mean, just let, let the people do their jobs. I think, you know what I mean? I'm, I'm kind of a very, I'm very pro retail uh, service worker, okay. you know, and I think that they go through a lot anyway. So don't, don't give them a hard time. If you're not a, uh, if, if, if it's not something that's going to ruin your day. Okay. Fair. I like it. Ryan, where are you standing? Yeah, I, I, I see you get I, nervous. I, don't get nervous. <laughs> yeah, right. I echo that. No, you're right. Cause like, I think, I think I'm very, uh, uh, conflict adverse. So yeah, being, being faced with, a uh, <laughs> issue to, to, to speak up to, a, a service work. I don't think I have the confidence to do that. You know, if I'm ordering a specific glass of wine because I like that wine and I really like mm-hmm. looking to have a deco- a bottle of like whatever the wine was mm-hmm. and it's not what I expected to be, I would be very dis- – it's like ordering like – it's almost essentially like ordering like a – I wanted a gin and tonic and you made me a vodka tonic. That's, you know, I that's not what I asked for, right? So right. that would bother me, but you're right. Fair points. I I have – I think first of all, good good for her for saying something because I can't even like tell the nail tech when I don't like my nails. Like I will spend an entire yeah. hour in a chair and she'll like, do you like them? I'm like, yeah, I love them and get home. And like, why did I choose yeah, that color? Sure. So like, like 100%. you fairly 100%. conflict averse, probably could not have said something in that instance. Definitely would have like told someone about it. Probably wouldn't have posted a TikTok video, but I will say like, if, you're if right. there yeah. is stadium or not, right. Cause a lot of people are like, you're in a stadium. What do you expect? Whatever. If, you have a wine that's listed by its name, regardless of like what we think about the wine, that is the wine that you should be getting. Even if there's only an mm-hmm. inch left of the bottle, to me, like the right thing to do would have just been like, hey, like, I'm so sorry, we're out of this wine. I have to switch you to another. Is that okay? And mixing them to me is like, yeah. I get it. Like you're probably really busy. Yeah. You work at a stadium. Like I'm not, I'm not saying there were not variables that that motivated that decision, but like Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like, you know, people would be angry. Like if a guy, and I don't mean to stereotype, like if somebody went up to order a Miller Lite and they tapped it off with like Stella Artois, like I feel like people, I feel like they would get pissed. Like this is not like a thing to do. Also, I feel like shout out to Sydney for ordering a glass of wine at an NFL game. Like right, at a football that's game. The real, yeah, that's the real win for all of us here. 100%. But yeah, I, I, I kind of feel bad for it. Like, you know, when you post anything on TikTok, like as you guys know, you're always going to be the subject of scrutiny. Scrutiny, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I feel like, I feel like the comments were like really aggressive for a situation yeah. that – you know, wasn't really her fault. So yeah, yeah, I, I agree. The real bad guys here are are, are the TikTok commenters. Is the thing <laughs> that's 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 the yeah. moral of the story. Do you guys get shade in the comments? Oh yeah, oh, oh yeah, very often. You you know what? The biggest shade in the comments we get are actually uh, Chris has a personal vendetta against a group. Yes, yes, so yeah. I, exactly. So the, the people I get the most uh, we, that we get the most shade from is French people who yelled us for mispronouncing the names of their oh, wives. Oh, yeah. That happens a lot to me, yes. too. It happens very, very frequently. Yeah. <laughs> for one, it's like, you know, because I would never make fun of somebody for mispronouncing something. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, you know, especially if, if like, you know, if you're if you're like not a native English speaker and you say something incorrectly, I'm not going to correct 100%. you on it because, of course, you don't speak that, like, you don't speak the language. It's not your first language. So it's like this whole, you know, it, it, literally every single person is in our comments like, oh, you mispronounced, you know, this word or like, 
you don't pronounce a T at the end of that word or something, or, you know, you don't understand why yeah. because you can't pronounce it. So yeah, those are our TikTok <laughs> commenters. I can go, I can go on for a while. We, we can do another segment We could do on. a whole, I yeah, have screenshots exactly. <laughs> of the, my, we'll just call it the best of hate comments. And I have a whole album full of them yes, that just like kind of that. make me laugh every now and then. Oh. But do you send them to, do you send them each other and just like, cause I send them to my sister and we just laugh about them is usually how I handle it. For mental sanity. Like I just look at that, like, you know, we're posting what we want to post. If people have hate, that's more on them than it is on us. So like, you know, just kind yeah. of let, let it brush off you like a uh, water off a water off a duck basically. Yeah. And on the pronunciation thing, like that, you're right. Like it does, it does blow my mind that people have the audacity to correct someone's pronunciation. And I've had entire, like I had an entire video that someone did like making fun of the way that I was pronouncing Sauvignon Blanc. Cause I was saying Sauvignon Blanc, like an American, oh like every other California yeah. person. Sauvignon Blanc. And I, I actually went around after that. I was like, how do you say Sauvignon? And I would, I would, you know, spell it. And 10 out of 10, Sauvignon Blanc. But yeah, this one person was like, it's Sauvignon Blanc. It's insult to the French language. It's not. And for anyone listening, oh my gosh. however you want to pronounce the, the damn wine, pronounce it. In fact, I'm probably going to totally destroy how to say the bottle that we're drinking today. I'm not even fully yes. sure how to say the producer, but we're going to go with it. On the pronunciation thing, one wine that is very easy to pronounce, and this is our second cultural event topic of the discussion. Have you been following the Josh Wine Twitter X <laughs> meme taking over the world thing that's been going on? Yes. I have never seen so many of one type of meme before. Like, I, It's like literally I'll get four in a row of Josh memes on my Twitter feed now. Pretty good. Some of them are very creative. I think I think when it, when a meme reaches a certain kind of critical mass, you start getting a little bit of like ask like kind of questionable ones. But like mm -hmm. the early Josh memes were very 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 funny. So I I'm all about it. I think it's hysterical. <laughs> it's so funny because I didn't realize that Josh was uh, mostly Merlot, and so like my my big takeaway from all this was like, all right, well I guess we're finally like getting the world to come around to Merlot, like. It's what we've been asking for yeah. for the last two decades. So after Sideways completely decimated its reputation as as a grape itself, yeah. it's, it is finally making a yeah. comeback. Hopefully, yeah, it's a it's a real thing that happened. The Sideways effect is a real thing. Where you know, if anyone's unfamiliar, if you haven't seen the movie Sideways, by the way, it's a cult classic from two thousand four. Mm. But yeah, this movie they you know they talk about how Merlot is you know the fucking worst and Pinot yeah. Noir is is the best. And so that is really why we saw such an upswing in Pinot Noir from 2005, basically onward, mm -hmm. and a lot of Merlot vineyards being ripped out. But it seems like courtesy of Josh, maybe it's making a comeback. So yeah, if you're if you're not familiar with what's been going on, just Google Josh. Like there's been an article in this yeah. Chronicle. Um, like everyone's published something about it, if you haven't seen the Josh memes. And I will also say like, way to go for Josh for like taking it in stride and like leaning into it. Because I think a lot of other producers would have turned their noses up at it. Oh, yeah. I see it all the time with wineries, like, you know, not wanting to partake in something like that, right? When they're being made fun of. Yeah, I, I just think we're, I think we're just in that age where, like, you need to lean into, and then obviously this is, like, not really wine adjacent, but, like, the whole Stanley Mug craze is, like, a perfect example of, like, leaning yes. into it just like Josh did, right? This idea that, like, viral video goes crazy for the Stanley Mug thing, and they just fully embrace it. So, and it paid off just like for Josh, I'm sure the sales are going through the roof. So, I mean, yep. we're in the age of like virality is something just to fully lean into. So I, uh, yeah, you're right. Props to them. They're, 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 you know, they deserve the success. All right. Well, speaking of relevant, this podcast wine club is the most relevant wine club that you'll be a member of in your entire life. That's, that's fact. We are drinking some amazing wine on the show today. And that is 
part of our wine club shipment. If you're not a member of the Wine Access Unfiltered Podcast Wine Club, the longest name for a wine club in wine club history, this is your cue to rectify that. All the information is below. It's $120 for four bottles plus tax, but including shipping, and you're going to get 10% off all of your Wine Access purchases as long as you're a member. And you get to hang out with me and these guys and drink wine and we discuss it and like how what a great way to learn about wine and an entertaining way at that. So with that, we're going to grab our glasses if you are drinking with us because you're a member and you're awesome. The wine you should be grabbing is the Toscana Bianco. This is the 2021 Civitella from, I told you I'm going to butcher it, La Ragnae. I don't know. I don't know if that's how you say it, but that's what we're going with. I should know how to say this, but I, I <laughs> so we'll be right back. All right, you guys. I know one of you has the wine and one of you doesn't because I stupidly assumed being twins that you live together, even though you're full grown adults <laughs> um, and only sent you one bottle. <laughs> so I'm very, very sorry, no Chris. Uh, what are you drinking, Chris? Is this a Sicilian red wine? I love it. It's not part. I, I don't believe it's part of the, the wine club, but it's a uh, Sicilian Rosso, which I believe means it's a blend of. Nero Davola. It would probably be probably it's near Davila and um, what's the other one they use? Rapato. Oh, must be yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So one of those. But what you guys is are drinking also sounds very interesting. Yes. You talk about that one. No, we we will we will, and we we love Sicilian reds. Actually, um, in the last shipment we had the costs for Pato, which is uh, one of our all time so good, right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Really fun wine. And actually, that's a great sort of sister episode to this one. That was an episode with Ray Isle, senior wine editor at Food and Wine Magazine, and also just published The World in a Wine Glass. A great book if you guys don't have it. Really, really great book. Chris got it for Christmas, actually. (laughs) Oh, nice. Yeah. Such a a great book and a great episode. And we drank the the costs on that episode, which actually would have fit really nicely into this one because it is more of a natural producer. But we are drinking mm-hmm. an orange wine. So for those of you who have this in your glass and you're looking at the color and you're like, I think this wine is spoiled. It's not. It's fine. It's supposed to be this golden orangey hue. As I said, this is the 2021 La – the producer is La Ragnei. In Italian, you're supposed to say like all the letters. So that's what I'm going with. Civitella Toscana Bianco. What's super interesting about this wine is that this is coming from Tuscany, specifically in Montalcino – though it is labeled an IGT because it's 100% Fiano, which means it doesn't fit into the standards of that particular DOCG, so they have to declassify it. So this is a Fiano, super rare, from one of the best producers in Montalcino. In fact, this is a top three producer for our mutual friend, Raj Parr, a lover of natural wine. Um, And this is Old Vines. You don't normally see Fiano anywhere in Tuscany. Normally you find it in Campania. Only about 50 cases make it to the U.S. and it is farmed organically and biodynamically. Also indigenous yeast, all that good stuff. Now, what gives this wine its orange color? Even though it is made from white grapes, it sits on its skins, which gives it that orange hue. And that's how we get orange wine. This is a really, really old school way of making wine. Started back in the country of Georgia, like 6,000 BC or something. And so this is a, a very classic way of making wine that gives it a really not only interesting hue, but interesting nose and texture and palate. I'm curious, Brian, I know you've already like dived into this wine. What are your thoughts? Kind of like savory and cheesy. Yeah, seriously. I, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to gush too much about it because Chris doesn't have it in his glass right now, but this <laughs> is a really, really phenomenal wine. Super fresh. Like, you know, that's what I really love about these, these 
orange wines because you know i think the easiest way is, is to describe it just has the the freshness and the lightness of a white wine but still has the body you're looking for like kind of like a red wine in the sense where like it's just that perfect happy medium uh, of, a, of a wine that i just love so much totally these are food wines these are you know orange wines I, it's so interesting because during this summer you'll probably start to see a lot of the articles come out making the comparison between rosé and orange wine. And I think mostly the comparison is there because they're actually made in really similar ways in that rosé is normally made by just a very gentle maceration of red grapes on the skins for a few hours or a few days to get that rosé hue. Orange wine is sort of made in a similar way in that the white wine is macerated on its skins for a few days to a few weeks or even a few hours. And that's where you're getting that hue from. But I would say like in flavor, they're very different. Like much more orange wines are much more savory and I think require a little bit more like, you know, a little food. I think, you know, I've got, and that doesn't have to be fancy. I've got some like cheddar popcorners in front of me, like that works fine. But are you guys, are, are you fans of orange wine at home? Yeah, absolutely. I think especially, you know, you mentioned the country of Georgia, you know, who's been doing this literally the, you know, pretty much the first the first way wine was made was, you know, orange yeah. wine. It's the kind of thing where, you know, it, that, that that's actually what one of the one of the types of wines that got us into like natural the natural wine scene because it's like I've never seen anything that looked like looks like this mm. before. You know, that's the it, it, it really kind of like, you know, piques your interest of, oh, you know, wine is not just red and white, you know, there's there's a lot more to it. So, you know, we we are big fans of orange wines, both like from the, you know, con- like conceptually, you yeah. know, with like like I, like like what what it means for wine and the kind of like the fact that it makes it you know obviously a more interesting uh, space, but also in the sense that it it just tastes like nothing you've had before. Yeah, you know, white wine with with body and tannins is crazy. That's so interesting. That was sort of your gateway. Like for I think for at least for me, I, I wasn't a huge fan of orange wine. I think because I didn't really know how to drink it. Like I didn't. I don't know. Maybe I had bad examples of it when I first started, but everything I, I tasted, I was like, eh, I don't know. Like it's like a little too austere for me, or like, and maybe I just didn't have food. But I love that that you liked it immediately, Brian. You, you too. Did you like it immediately, or was it more of like a, a slow burn? Yeah, I, I think that that's that's that was part of what piqued our interest. Like like Chris said, like you know, you just see this wine in a bottle next to the red and whites that is just a completely different color, and you're mm-hmm. we got intrigued by it really at the end of the day, and then. You know, it's the uh, the age old question that you have to you have to sift through is that no, it's not made by it's not made with oranges. It's made with white wine grapes. And so that was Correct. the first step of trying to figure that out. And then uh, we went on a, a little bit of a explorative phase of, of just trying different orange wines from different countries and, and really figuring out what we like. So, yeah, that's and I think to this day, I, I still think it's my favorite food and wine pairing. And you can mark it down on record. It's spicy food with orange wine, uh, mm. especially like a floral orange wine is by far my favorite food food and wine combination. So any like particular form of spice, like more like Asian spice, like Mexican spice. Yeah, like I think like Thai food, like spicy Thai food with like a floral like garbage yeah. demeanor. Yeah. From Alsace is yeah. again, chef's kiss. It is ten out of ten combination. Although I'm pretty sure also uh our, our mutual friend again, Raj Parr, said that uh like spicy tandoori chicken yep. with like a really deep orange, like 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 a radicon kind of like deep maceration orange is like and also an excellent combination. So I think that's that that echoes echoes Ryan's point. One of the first times I really enjoyed orange wine was actually with with Indian food and was at Raj's restaurant in Santa Barbara. It was called BBG's. And that whole yeah. One, that yeah. Have you guys been? We have been. Yeah, yeah. We have been. It's this is awesome. Super cool. Very like very low key, but the whole wine list is nothing but natural wine and orange wine. And so 
that was really like, that was, I honestly, I still remember to this day going in there having dinner with my, my boyfriend. And I was like, I don't know what to order. So I just let the servers like, I was like, just pick a few glasses out that like to pair with everything. And I remember my mind was blown there because I was like, this whole time I've been trying yeah. to figure out like, one, what to pair with Indian food. And two, like, what do I do with these orange and natural wines? And it really did make me fall in love with it. So like, yeah, tandoori chicken, like anytime you're yeah. either making Indian food at home or ordering it, like natural and or orange wine. And we will talk about the fact that these are not the same category of wines, but they often, like I said, get lumped together. Those, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is. They work so unbelievably well. I don't know. Maybe it's like the savory nature of it, like the acidity is there. Like I don't – it's all – It's every, like you said, it's everything that you love about white wine and red wine but in one glass. And so I don't know. I don't I don't understand like the exactly. the science behind that. But that's so awesome. I love that you guys have been there. And yeah, shout out yeah. to – it's called BBG. It's B-I-B-I space J-I apostrophe S. And that's in like downtown Santa yeah. Barbara. Can't recommend it enough. All right. We'll be sipping on this wine while we talk about natural wine. What the hell is it? What is natural wine? <laughs> what is your definition definition of natural wine? I'll preface this by saying that there is no concrete definition of what natural wine is, right? Correct. I think the best way to look at it is just low intervention, well-made artisan wine from small producers. Yeah. It's very easy to get really caught up with like, you know, the intricacies about like sulfur and sugars and, you know, preservative, anything, right? Like, but at the mm-hmm. end of the day, I think that the most je- je- being general is, is really helpful in this sense. You think about wine, you know, as it is today, um, you know, and, and listen, you know, part of our, our mission is like wine is wine is wine. It's, it's you know, it's non-judgmental. You know, we don't if you, if you like drinking Josh or decoy, mm-hmm. no judgment, obviously. But, you know, when it comes to, you know, wine in today's day and age, and especially in the States, it's very much a commodity, right? right? You know, it's you, you, you buy something from a supermarket or you buy something from like, you know, a random liquor store. The wine is not there, you know, to, to kind of express, you know, the artisan nature of, of the craft. It's, it's more so there to, you know, sell bottles. Right. And in the same sense, right, th- th- those aren't wines where the grapes are being grown responsibly, you know, being grown with, with the land in mind, with the environment in mind, yep. um, with the ecosystem in mind. And as a result, you end up with a wine that's, you know, consistent. You know, it's, it's every bottle of Josh tastes the same every single right. time, but at the same time, it's you lose kind of the touch of you know the farmer of, of the land, you know, of the ecosystem that you're drinking from. Yeah. So natural wine, in a sense, for us is like you know, you know, kind of bringing it back to the 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 origin of of how wine was made before, where you know you have small plots, no pesticides, no um, very little intervention to kind of express you know piece of the world in a glass, essentially. To just sort of blanket a few categories, right? Because you have organic wine, you have biodynamic wine, you have natural wine. And those are three separate categories that are sort of Venn diagrams, right? They can kind of overlap. So organic wine to start, and we have to make some different differentiations here because it's a little confusing. So organic, right? So no chemicals in the vineyard, no pesticides, no herbicides. And a vineyard can be certified in the United States by the CCOF as organic. Now that doesn't necessarily mean that the wine is organic because in the U.S., for your wine to be organic, you cannot add any sulfur during the winemaking process at all. So that's organic. Biodynamic is sort of organic plus, no chemicals, all those good things, but it's taking into consideration the whole of the vineyard. So it's looking at the whole ecosystem and sort of like the homeopathic approach. You're not just treating the symptoms, you're looking at the root of the problem and you're treating it you know, as one one complete entity. So there's obviously no spraying. There's also 
uh, the lunar cycle is taken into, into consideration as well as this sort of spiritual, ethical, ecological approach. You'll oftentimes, if you visit a biogenic vineyard, you'll see that they're, you know, they're composting. They've probably got some uh, cow horns in there because they're burying cow horns with manure every year. So that's biogenic. And again, just like organic, there is a certification. It's Demeter certified in which the vineyard is certified, but not necessarily the wine. There are very few biogenemically certified wines in the U.S. You'll see them outside of the U.S., but not in the U.S. Because again, there's there's different... Oh, there's different rules that regulate that, and most of your wines are not going to adhere to that. So that's organic, that's biogenic. Natural wine. What is natural wine? Well, basically, natural wine can be all of those things. It can be organic. It can be biogenic. You're not going to see the use of herbicides or pesticides or anything like that. The most simple way that I like to say is it's nothing added, nothing removed, meaning during the process of winemaking, after you've grown your grapes and there's been nothing added in the vineyard and nothing removed in the vineyard, when you're making the wine, it's what we would consider low to no intervention or minimal intervention winemaking, meaning they're not adding sulfur, they're not adding yeast a lot of times, they're not adding any of the 50 plus additives that are allowed in the US and Europe, they're not adding liquid tannin, they're not adding any of that stuff. And so it's a very clean, pure expression of winemaking. And so some of you are probably sitting there like, well, why wouldn't everyone do that? That sounds lovely. Well, the reason for that is that, you know, there's a lot of variability when it comes so winemaking, you know, when you're trying to deal with mother nature and bend her to your will. Um, and so without the use of some chemicals, you can get some potentially unsavory things in your wine. You could have bacterial issues. You could have foul odors. You could have spoilage. If you don't know how to manage these wines without the use of chemicals or additives. And I will say, you know, even though it's, you know, there's 50 additives allowed, a lot of wineries are not using all of them. And I will also say that not all of them are bad for you. They get a bad rap, but they're not necessarily bad for you. But this idea of making natural wine is just the removal of all of those other factors and the most pure expression of the vineyard, of the place, of that vintage, and of the ethos of who made it, right? It's a, it's a, it's a peek into that. So that's my very long definition of natural wine. And so what do, you, what do you get from that? What do you get from natural wine? You get this like, you know, you can get some funk in your wines from, from time to time. I'm sure you guys have had them, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, and yeah, I think that's a great point. I mean, to preface that, like, people are adding sulfur to their wine because they want to add sulfur to their wine. You know, it's like the reason that sulfur is added to the wine is because it makes it stable, makes it last longer. You know, and and, and a lot of really well respected wineries mm-hmm. will add chemicals. You know, not not for the purpose of making it unnatural, correct? Because that's it's it just kind of it, it's a better way of making wine for to make it last, essentially. Yeah. But when you talk about like natural wine for us anyway, you know, you, you can end up with things like wine that doesn't last a long time, you know, uh, unstable mm-hmm. wines, people will call them. So, you know, they, 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 they turn faster or, you know, you, you, you can have a wine in the fridge that's like, you know, unstabilized or, you know, with no sulfur where originally you might, you, you think a wine would last like, you know, several months, but this one, you know, will go bad after just a few months or whatever. Yeah. Sometimes it also, you can get something called a mousiness, Ryan. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know if you want to speak to that. It's basically the sensation that it tastes, you, you, you know, when, when your wine hits your palate, it tastes like a mouse cage. It tastes like you would just put your tongue into a mouse cage. And that sounds incredibly unappetizing because it is. <laughs> and that's caused by a bacteria call it, called um, Brettomyces brett, I believe, right? Can be, yeah. 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 And so like, you know, different bacteria, it's basically just a, b- a bacterial flaw in the wine. And so, you know, that's sometimes what you run risk for. And trust me, I, you know, we've been there where we bought bottles that are you know, cost, cost a decent amount of money that end up being turned or something like that. So, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of like um, rolling the dice is the best way it was described to me sometimes. But, yeah. you know, I think that 
the good thing is that the hope and the goal and some of these really, really um, intelligent vignerons are are able to work within the confines of what you consider natural or minimal intervention winemaking. And they're still able to make some some really phenomenal products. So I think that, like Chris said earlier, like no judgment. I mean, like, again, I think that at the end of the day, if you're making well-made wine and you care about the land and you care about the environment, does it really matter if you put a little bit of sulfur in there so you can sell enough bottles to keep your operations running for the next year? No. Like, I think that's, it's, it's unfair to judge uh, from afar from farmers that are just trying to make a livelihood. But, you know, I think that we tend to lean to, towards like the wines that are just, again, uh, made with, with, with intention in mind rather, or, or in t- the intention of making a, a, a sustainable, well-made product rather than just trying to, you know, turn, turn up profits for, you know, stocks for, for, for the next year, you know? So that's, that's really, I think the separation we like to make. You bring up some good points. Like you can get burned on natural wine, no different than you can get burned on conventional wine, which by the way, I think I alluded to earlier, the opposite of natural wine is not unnatural. It's, we call it conventional. Yes. And, you know, as we've said, like the use of sulfur, the use of additives, like that's a choice. It's a choice that people make. And you can either subscribe to that or not subscribe to that. You don't have to be dogmatic. I obviously drink a lot of different wines across the board. I don't just drink natural wines. Do I enjoy them now more than I did? Absolutely. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that early on, I think what I was tasting did have – there was a lot of bad winemaking that I that was happening in the early days of the natural wine movement which is a weird thing to say, right? Because like you're really reverting back to like the old days of the original days of making wine. So like this new movement sort of started maybe a decade or so ago where you started seeing producers just like, I just let the grapes harvest themselves and make their own wines and they stand back and wave their magic wand. And you're like, what the hell, man? Like that doesn't taste good. And so there's a lot of that in the early days. And I will say like, I think what's changed is you have advocates like Raj Parr, you have advocates like you guys you know, out there talking about the really good wines and bringing the really good wines to light. Where do you think some of the best or your favorite natural wines are coming out of in terms of region? I, I know I just talked about uh, our, our our least favorite TikTok commenters, but unfortunately, they have the best wine. <laughs> it's it's got to be it's 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 got to be France. So the natural wine movement, you know, not not the one that we know of in the states, but you know, kind of originally the concept of natural wine started over in Beaujolais, right? With the so-called Gang of Four. You know, the one that we know of is Marcel Lapierre. Mm-hmm. You know, a very famous um, producer from that region. They're the kind of the first ones that started saying we want to take winemaking back from corporations and big businesses and make it more like a personal business. So Beaujolais is one region that makes really, really good, you know, ethical natural wines. Second uh, uh, in France, also the Loire Valley yeah. is very, uh, you know, historic. They're kind of the the the, the kingpins of natural wine, really. Yeah. That they, they make they make some really good stuff and inexpensive. Uh, yeah, exactly, affordable, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, totally agree with you, France for sure. Kind of the OGs and all of that. But the the country that I think I have the most fascination with, as well as I, I know Chris does too. I think Austria, specifically the Burgenland mm. region, um, as well as Styria, they are really leading this charge in kind of this minimal intervention biodynamic wine movement that we know of today. I didn't realize they were producing so much natural wine. That's great. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So the Bergenland, uh, the Bergenland region of Austria has producers like Christian Cheetah, who's making some phenomenal stuff in Styria. They have producers like uh, Maria and Seb Muster. Uh, they have producers like Gudegau. Uh, yeah. Oh, Gudegau. Yeah, exactly. Like the face wine, if, if people have seen those labels before. With oh wines with kind yeah, of yeah, this, yeah. These, uh, yes. Cartoon face on them. Yes. Yeah. And I learned this fairly recently. Um, 
Austria is really leading this charge mainly because of kind of government crackdown on uh, wine production in the country. So mm. in the 80s, there was this kind of controversial thing where a bunch of Austrian wine producers were putting antifreeze into their wine to kind of beef up their wine and right. produce more products. And obviously, that's incredibly illegal and unethical. And so the government had to intervene, crack down, and uh, kind of just start from the bottom, start from scratch. And so I think that that's why Austria had to like reset and start from zero and build their way back up to yeah. kind of a, a respected wine growing country. And so that's why I think that you're really seeing a lot of this biodynamic, ethically farmed, mm. conscious and, and deliberate effort to make wine that's considerate of the land. So I, uh, like I said, so yeah. in, in short, Austria, I think, is certainly uh, uh, on the forefront of the natural wine movement. I was in Portugal, as you we talked about, last year, and I was shocked how big the natural wine scene is there. I probably had more natural wine there than I have had in any other country just because that's what was mm-hmm. available. Like most of the restaurants had natural wine. Um, and I don't know how much – are you are you Portuguese by like descent? By descent, yes. By descent. Okay. I thought you had some like ties there. I don't know what is happening in that region, but there is so much natural wine there and people are so passionate about it and it's so good and so dirt cheap while you're there. But I was I was really oh, blown yeah. away by the, the natural wine scene in Portugal. But you don't see a ton of it coming over. You know, shout out to one of the one of our favorite producers, one of our mom favorite producers, uh, Felipe Pato, um, out of Portugal. She makes one of the first rose pet nats we ever mm. had in our life, and that was a three three B. Still one of our all time favorites. But yeah, so to to that point, Portugal has always been a you know a wine making country. But I, I I have not looked into the history of why they started making so much natural wine. But you see, there there there's one Nyport. Nyport yeah. is a a a age old port producer. You know, we all know port is like the the sweet dessert wine that Portugal is known for. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nyport wines uh, has been making wine for a long time, port wine for like 150 years, something like that. And they just recently started a project where they're basically making natural wine, mm. you know, kind of like with through subsidiaries. I think it's called Nat Cool is what mm. they call it. They make some really good like natural wines. Um, and, and this is this is a an estate that's, that's existed for hundreds of years, like literally. Yeah. So it's, it's very interesting. One thing that I did hear about Portugal is that, you know, because these next generations are taking over the farming and because they don't necessarily know what grapes are on these family properties, like a lot of them are just like, eh, screw it. Like we'll just make it like a field blend and like make something fun. And that was like anecdotally one of the things that I had heard, but I don't have anything that's like more (laughs) concrete behind that. One of the first natural wines that we ever had that really piqued our interest was um, uh, the one from Mexico, Ryan. Beachy. Beachy. Yes. I've had Beachy. So, so Beachy, their, their, their story is that, you know, so, so obviously, you know, way back in the day, you know, in the times of the conquistadors, people came to the new world, you know, and Europeans always loved wine. So they started planting wine there, but no one really cultivated wine in Mexico. This dude who founded Beachy just found vines growing on his property, has no idea what kind of grapes they are. They're probably some kind of ancient grape varietal that just sat there and grew over generations and he just started making wine out of those grapes. Mm. So he doesn't even know what they're called. You know, he just like, you know, he just makes wine out of it and it's delicious. He's like, here, it's wine. Enjoy. Literally. Exactly. Literally. In New York, I met um, a few Portuguese wine importers um, Mm. and they really said exactly what you said. Like this echoed that point of saying, you know, there's just plots of, of vines just growing random grapes. And so what you're seeing a lot of Portuguese wine now is a lot of field blends because they just have no idea what's in, in these yeah. wines in certain cases. 
And so they're just throwing it all into a bat and just saying, okay, this is uh, our field blend. I forget they have a certain name for it. It's a Portuguese name that I, it escapes me right now, but. There's, I mean, there's natural wine being produced all over the world in lots of different ways. I was actually, as you were talking, I was reminded that I had this dinner last year with this guy when I was in Verona and he is making the world's most expensive natural wine. I think he said it was like 3000 euro a bottle. It's called magic stone. It was very good. He, so he takes this approach that I had heard of before where he basically like intentionally oxidizes the wine sort of, or exposes it to oxygen early on, which sort of the idea is that you're sort of um, vaccinating it, for so to speak, right? Like you're you're building its strength to withstand oxygen down the line by exposing it to oxygen earlier. And so by doing that, it gets a very specific, you know, sort of nose and palate. It was very good. It was still very structured. It was very good with food. It was very like silky and viscous. I don't know where one acquires this bottle, but I do remember it's called Magic Stone. And I was when he he didn't tell us the price of the wine until we finished dinner and finished the wine. So we were just kind of drinking it like, oh, whatever. Like, this is really like, cool, you're making natural wine. And then he's like, it's 3,000 euro bottle. And you're like, wow, that's (laughs) a lot more than I thought you were going to (laughs) say. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned importers uh, and which is, you know, always a great way to find producers that you might like. Are there importers of natural wine that you gravitate toward that you trust? We're lucky enough to be in this part of the country that has a lot of access, thankfully. You know, I think that the big players, and that's honestly how we started shopping for wines, is looking for importers that we trust. Mm. And so, you know, immediately that comes to mind, we think of like Louis Dresner is, a, you know, the rock star and kind of that kind of well-made, low-intervention kind of style of wines in the portfolio. I think that Jenny and Francois is another big one, Zev Ravine, yeah. um, Jose Pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, I, there's so many. There's uh, And there's also a bunch of new importers kind of popping up. Rosenthal. Rose, oh, yeah, obviously Rosenthal for sure. What's really exciting, especially in kind of the Northeast right now, is that you have a lot of even smaller import, importing books that are kind of popping up in the scene. They're trying to bring in these wines to give these winemakers exposure. And, you know, I think it's kind of going hand in hand with this you know, youth movement in wine. You have a lot of young people starting importing companies. You have a lot of young people opening wine bars. You have a lot of young people opening wine shops. And I think there's just a, a, a lot of energy and, and, and momentum behind this movement of just, you know, drinking, uh, drinking clean. Oh, by the way, if you're still drinking this wine with us and I feel like I've drank a lot more than I had anticipated, it's going back so easily. And I will also mention yes. that like, this is one of those wines that you should definitely be taking out of the fridge. Like, 20 to 30 minutes before you're going to drink it. I think it's so much better when it warms up, mm-hmm. but it's just singing. It's so beautiful right now. I don't know like what the ageability of something like this is. Um, I think it would be really interesting down the line, but to me, like it's just so perfect right now. Like why would you wait? And yeah. you know, you mentioned the ageability of natural wines is to some degree more limited with natural wines, there is going to be some potential limitations on how long you can yeah. age those wines. And you definitely want to make sure that they are temperature controlled because, you know, they're to some degree can be un- unstable and temperature, you know, could potentially in some bottles reignite a fermentation or do something funky and weird. So like, you know, there's, I mean, there's people who would disagree with you. I mean, sure. uh, producers anyway, yeah. well, one, one's producers who take a lot of pride in saying like, I make my wine the natural way and I still get it to age for 10 yep. years. So, you know, like screw, screw your sulfites basically. Yep. Right. But at the same time, yeah, like it's, it's like the way, if you're going to make wine like naturally, so to speak, you, you're going to, 
you know, not add preservatives and naturally speaking, it's going to not, your wine is not going to stay as long as it would if it was, you know, sulfur. One of the things I haven't asked you is outside of like the stories and the transparency and the feeling that you get behind some of these wines, like, like drinking these wines, like what do you enjoy about drinking these wines? Like what do they do for you? The reason that, you know, natural wines in general kind of caught our eyes because, you know, it, I guess for one, there's something different, mm-hmm. right? You know, every single bottle is completely different. You know, it's, it's, it's this idea that, you know, again, the wine that we drink in the States or the wine that most people are exposed to in the States, uh, you know, supermarket wines or wines that are like, you know, readily available, they're all designed to look the same and taste the same, you know, and act the same because that's what everyone thinks wine should taste mm-hmm. like. But I think that what, what makes natural wine so cool and, and the natural wine movement so cool is that people are saying, well, that's, that's not, that's, that's just not the case. You know, you, 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 we have wine that's from Croatia, from New Zealand, from Georgia, from, you know, South America and Argentina and Chile, you know, and they all taste completely different. Yeah. And it's all different people's interpretation of how wine should be made. So I think that the, the reason, you know, it's, it's stuck for me anyways, is, is that every single bottle and every single region is just another adventure. Yeah. And it's like, just, just not, just not, not the way that we're used to thinking about wine, you know, here in the States. Ryan, what about you? No, I also think uh, in not only just this idea of discovery, um, like Chris, like really outlined pretty well. I, I also think it just like wine is such a shared experience. I think that sharing bottles with your friends and having these tasting groups or just discover going to a wine bar with some friends that don't really know so much about wine. You know, it's a really great way to spend time and, and be curious with with, you know, people that you like to spend your time with. I think so. Like I said, we you know we have we're we're we're. Uh, in and around New York City very often. And, you know, this is just one example. But again, there's just such a, a burgeoning, you know, wine movement and wine scene in the wine bar scene. It's just, you know, this idea of a lot of young people coming in and wanting to try new wines and wanting to, you know, be out and learn a lot of stuff. So not only a discovery, but it's also just kind of a shared experience and a communal experience uh, with wine as well. If you were to draw the comparison, for example, like your conventional wines are your blockbuster movies, right? They're the movies that you you go to the theater, you watch on Netflix, and they're a little predictable. Like they're gonna, they're not gonna disappoint most of the time. Some of them will. Some of them are like real stinkers on Netflix or like Amazon. But a lot of times, like, you know, you watch them and like they're a joy, right? They make you smile. And then you have your independent films, and they're the ones that are gonna push you a little outside your comfort zone. They're going to make you feel something that you maybe didn't expect. You might have a reaction that you didn't want to have that night, but like there you are. And to me, like if you're a film buff, you're watching movies across all spectrums. And if you're a wine buff, you're doing the same thing. If you love wines, you drink wine across all spectrums. And that includes the independent films and the blockbusters. So I think that if you're even the least bit wine curious and are trying to get more into it, this is a category of wine that you should not be ignoring. I think it's a category of wine that keeps getting better. And frankly, it's just so much fun. And it's a great way to travel the world and meet different people. And whether you go there yourself or whether you do it via bottle, like this is what the wine world does. And this is such a perfect example of how it can bring us all closer. So thank you so much, guys. This was such a treat. Did not disappoint. I'm very excited that we finally got to have you on the show. Where can people find your lovely faces? Yes. Well, Amanda, thank you again for having us on uh, your podcast. This was so much fun. I wish it was longer. I wish we had uh, uh, more time <laughs> to talk with you because it's, it's, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. And, and thanks again. Like I said, it's 
it's a, it's, a, it's such a pleasure. But you can find us if you are interested in learning about natural wine and the stories behind certain producers and where to drink and where to shop and all of that. You can find us on our Instagram at Super Vino Bros and on TikTok, which is also at Super Vino Bros. So uh, we post some fun stuff. We just hang out. We're just you know two guys drinking wine. So two brothers drinking wine. So you do yeah. you do tell the stories and you turn us on to like new producers and new grape varieties. And I also think it's like, you know, you guys are on your journey and it's always fun to, to watch someone else's journey. So like if you're just getting into it or, you know, if you're on there already, I think a great way to uh, to keep exploring natural wine. And I saw earlier that you, are you guys doing a collaboration with Pinch Chinese? Yes, yes, yes. So we, we're, we're starting to experiment in 2024 with some in-person events in New York City. Cool. So uh, so to kick off the year, we, we did a, uh, we're doing currently a January residency. So every Thursday we're going there, Drinking wine, pouring up, you know, picking out the wines in the menu uh, to pair with the incredible food that Pinch Chinese has to offer. So if you're able to stop by, great. If not, we have a ton of other stuff in store for 2024. Again, we post all of the events on uh, on our Instagram. So uh, for sure, if you if you can't make it to Pinch, we can we well, there's certain a lot of other places where we could uh we can uh, all get together and drink some wine. So Amanda, hope to see you at one of them too. That'd be great. Yeah, for real. I would love to come up. I would love to to go to one of those. I love Pinch Chinese. I haven't been long time oh yeah oh my god unreal food amazing place would love that okay well we'll make sure that you know everything is linked in the description as always guys thank you so much i hope you enjoy both of the bottles that you have again if you were drinking with us uh or maybe if you weren't this is the 2021 civitella toscana bianco it is available still on wine access um so stock up your sellers because like we said there's only 50 cases that make it into the u.s uh, so we were very, very lucky to get this allocation, not only for Wine Access, but for the wine club. And it's something that I fought for. So I really, really hope that you guys like it. And yeah, I know that is, I will this be- This wine's phenomenal. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Yeah, so good. I'm actually having breakfast for dinner. So I'm pretty pumped to have this with like bacon and eggs. <laughs> so uh, whatever whatever you guys are drinking at home, always feel free to share and tag us at Wine Access Unfiltered on Instagram. You can also tag me at Sambivant. And if you're not part of the wine club, <sighs> take a deep breath and pull the trigger. It's time to make the move. <laughs> all the information's below guys thank you so much what a treat drink more natural wine just drink more wine in general and uh, i hope to see you guys in person soon cheers yes absolutely thanks for cheers cheers amanda cheers, cheers.